Welcome to Beaver Life with Lucy Green. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the new Beaver Pod that we're going to start up. We're having some discussions here, and it's called Beaver Life. We're going to chat to people on an individual basis and sometimes in groups and pick some topical things that we think you'll all enjoy listening to. First up, we've got Hugh Griffiths, our very own senior vice president. Thank you for coming to join us, Hugh. How are you doing? I'm really well. Thanks for the invitation, Lucy. And um, yeah, happy to be here and happy to discuss things post-president, which seem, um, seems like an odd thing to say. But yeah, the year's been and gone, and now it's time to try and wrap up some projects before um, I move on into the ether. Oh, yeah. Well, it has gone quickly, hasn't it? And it always does, as I know. Um, so I'd like to talk to you a bit about your re- recruitment and retention survey um, and and all the work you've been doing, because you've been spreading the word f- far and wide about this subject matter. Can you give me a quick rundown about how you've messaged about this and, and what you've been doing, particularly as president? Sure. Well, um, as you know, sort of this is something I felt strongly about that I wanted to commission whilst being president. And that came about probably mainly as a result of the international president's meeting that you hold at the very beginning of your presidency. And, um, you know, the one thing that was clearly bothering all countries was the recruitment and retention crisis or the probable crisis that was heading our way. And then that got... um, reinforced and we went across to AAEP as you know and Amy Grice did all that amazing work and then presented on it um, and her you know understanding of the different generations and the effect on the future of professions generally was incredible so I thought let's get some data together and then we can make evidence-based decisions on that. Renata put in all the hard work a few (laughs) years ago so she um, she came up with the survey and then we stuck to a lot of the same stuff because um, I wanted powerful data that we could make good comparisons. Um, and then we had to add in two unexpected events from my side, Brexit and COVID. I didn't want either, but they <laughs> happened. And now we've got to get on with it. So um, just to see how that affected the profession. So we got our data in. Um, thank you to the membership who responded. Without that, it wouldn't work. So thank you very much. And um and the data's not, you know, it's not all bad. It's demonstrating where we're at, but the changes aren't dramatically um, negative. There are some positive changes in there as well. So it's all, it's not looking as bad as we thought it might. So as a country across Europe, I think we are faring relatively well. Good. And long may that continue. Um, so the first presentation of the data was at Beaver Congress. And Brad Hill very kindly presented that for me Um partly because I wasn't quite sure where I'd be at that moment in time. <laughs> so um, I was in the room, um, but um, he presented it. So that was great to get that first discussion amongst our membership. And then subsequent to that, I've just come back from FEVA. So that's the Federation of European Equine Vets, and they hold a general assembly. And the same sort of thing, you know, various people from various organisations, be they the FEI or the various veterinary bodies sit around and discuss the important topics. And they felt this was very important. So that was a great opportunity to spread the word across our European counterparts, as was, or certainly our friends, as is, and um, and find out where they're at. So, um, and again, you know, it was received very, very well. And the situation is relatively similar for most countries, not all um so that's the most recent comms and then next month or actually later this month now 
um, I'm heading over the pond. So we're going to be spreading the word um, back to AAP, which feels a nice full circle from absorbing Amy's work last year to um, to passing our work back over um, so that globally we can get ahead around what it is that is making vets struggle and um, what it would take to keep them in the profession. So those are the things that have been happening. So stage one was very much a, a vet communication and we're sort of two thirds of the way through that. And thank you for the invitation to get a pod out as well, because that's another chance to spread the word. So I think we kind of were basically getting to the point of, you know, sort of the veterinary comms are well underway. Um, and this pod is going to be sort of one of the final chances of spreading the word amongst the vet population. Um, and then the next phase is going to be a, a client communication piece. Mm, that's really exciting. Yeah, because the, the clients, I guess, have taken quite an interest in this, haven't they? There's been a few bits in the equestrian press about vets struggling or lack of vets or potential lack of vets in the future. So um, how do you sort of envisage telling the the horse owning population about our situation and how it might affect them? Well, again, it sort of comes about from the survey. So one of the findings that we had, um, which doesn't always make the easiest reading, is that one of the things the vets found the hardest was the client relationship. Mm. So there's every reason to try and improve that. And, and as an ambulatory vet who considers himself pretty centric, I'm you know, a bog standard ambo vet who is running around the country doing all sorts of different stuff. I can relate to various pressures and and pinch points where your day is is made more difficult than it needs to be made. There are certainly times when you think that you're moving mountains to keep the client happy. And that's only right because it's a it's an industry where, you know, we are the provider and it's it's only right that we are doing our very best. But I think there needs to be some sort of a an appropriate barrier or a a stop and consider before you just say yes to to everything. And I think the, the example I've been using a little bit is, you know, occasionally we'll get a, a same day call for a an emergency vaccination because the client's forgotten to do her vaccines and then or his vaccines, but usually it is at her, um, just because of the population of horse owners. And um and then it turns out that it has to be the last call of the day because there were, you know, there was a spar engagement or something like that, which you know, it's not for me to judge what that person's doing, but if that individual has forgotten something, then it would feel fairer that maybe the individual then meets the vet halfway with regard to how much each puts their day out to fix the problem. Yeah. So my worry is that, you know, we send off junior assistants an hour on a Friday at five o'clock to do a vaccination and then they're late to go and see their partner. And then suddenly, you know, that the job is affecting their life a bit more than yeah. you'd want it to. And maybe we just need to work together to say, right, in that sort of situation, please, can you come in and we'll vaccinate the horse of the clinic? Or please, yeah. can you make it earlier so that, you know, we've got somebody passing your yard at lunchtime, but we really haven't got anybody near you in the evening. And, you know, you can extrapolate that to loads of things. It's the same with, say, PPE, for example, we get regular phone calls where People are desperate to have a vetting tomorrow. And it's actually a sizable chunk of work to book into a diary, especially for a smaller practice. They may only have a couple of providers who do vettings. And you just think, yes, there's a sale involved. There's a huge amount of motion you know, and financial input as well. But if we can train people that 
it isn't unreasonable to wait a few extra days. And I think bringing it back to the narrative of the GP and the dentist is really important. You know, because of COVID, we've now become familiar and accepting of the fact that we can't see a GP today or tomorrow or the next day. We may have a telephone triage if we're pretty sick, but if it's something very routine, it could be a couple of weeks before we'd even think of getting an appointment. Yeah. Whereas with a vet, it still seems that if it's not exactly when you want it, there's a, an immediate disappointment. Yeah, and I and guess I, the the owners are paying, aren't they? And that's sometimes the difference, isn't it? They kind of it, there's this sense of needing instant gratification, of course, which is in society now, isn't it? So it's quite hardwired, which is going to be difficult to undo, but it 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 needs to be done, I think, doesn't it, for the sake of our our workforce who just can't continue to work in that in that way, supplying a kind of never-ending free-for-all service whenever suits the client because it's just we have to physically be able to get around our calls <laughs> it's a it's a fact really isn't it yeah and I think and I think it's quite healthy also one of the another outcome of COVID is that you know I needed an MRI during the COVID time and 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 sort of afterwards and even if you're paying it doesn't really matter you can't have it tomorrow there's a process and you have to wait your turn and I think, you know, it's good to bring that into the private sector, that yeah. you know, we acknowledge that even if you can pay for it, or even if you are paying for it, there's a humanity element of, let's pick a sensible time frame, irrespective yeah. of who's paying, and, and you know, get the expectations into a sensible place. And, and to be fair to the public, they've got no idea that we've got this crisis going on. So there's no reason for the horse-owning public to think, I need to be very considerate of what my vets can and can't do because unless we tell them unless we communicate they probably assume that there are hundreds of vets out there who are desperate to come out at five o'clock on a Friday so we, you know we need to do our part before we can expect them to do their part. Yeah and I think that's true and I certainly found that with some clients is that they were they were actually surprised when they heard that there were people struggling or that the, you know there weren't many vets applying for jobs nowadays and things like that because I think they probably are under the assumption that we're all there and providing this service has as we always have done to some extent um so the fact that we've going to have to change how we do things is is absolutely something we're all going to have to learn and and manage and like you say managing the expectations is critical really because we know from the amy Grice stuff that i think both you and i listened to last year at aep that the, the the sort of society is changing isn't it as well so it's not like we're just changing our industry the whole workforce potentially i think is changing with the generations isn't it so it might not be as difficult as we think it will be to to bring about that change that we need to do because it might be more accepted across other professions as well that people can't just get everything they want at the drop of a hat. Um, so we maybe ought to be t- take a sort of positive slant with it in some ways in that we can just evolve <laughs> evolve how we do things rather than feel that we've got to have this urgent change. Naturally, we have to do something fairly urgently because we have got real workforce problems, haven't we? But it might be that we can evolve at a, at a steady rate. Um, do you, do, What was your take? Do you remember the Amy Grice... Um, piece where she talked about the different generations. Do you remember the differences? It was quite interesting, wasn't it, how she phrased it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you're saying there is exactly right. I think we may find, and hopefully we will find, that the the new generation of vet will very well match the new generation of client. There's yeah. probably going to be one generation lag there because horses are so expensive. There was that chat yeah. about the fact that the reality is we're going to be serving 
a generation ahead um, or as a young vet, you're going to be serving a generation ahead. But yeah, I do remember it. And what I really loved about it was, you know, she put that slide up where she basically said, you know, the current generation are lazy and they're not engaged and they're lackadaisical and they're just not what they used to be. And then I, you know, off the top of my head, I think she then said it was, was it the Lancet 1979 or something. And I just thought, oh, my God, they're, yeah. they're, talking, they're talking about all the oldest vets that we currently got. That's that's incredible. And that was really good because, you know, we all think we're so different. But, yeah, you know, there there's commonality, but as you put it, evolution. And I think the important thing is going to be to evolve with those clients. And, and you know, I think the new clients, are, you know, the younger clients, you, you know, they're buying to carbon offset and things like that are completely different to what my generation and the generation before me is so um you know we may find that call sharing and all those other efficiency drives maybe they'll drive us to say you know i don't want you to come out to just me you know i'll take a call when you're coming to the yard to do five others because i can't cope with the sustainability of you know you coming out an hour and a half to do one vaccination it just doesn't sit comfortably yeah, you're right. They might actually choose the vets that are produce, uh, providing a more sustainable service. And more that's that's an interesting point, actually. I hadn't thought about that. They um they're gonna they're gonna want us to be more like that, probably, aren't they? Those those types. Well, maybe. And I so think... you, oh, go you go. Well, no, I was just gonna say it's interesting that there's there's lots of chats on different Facebook groups, isn't there, about how people are changing the way they work and changing the way they're they're getting their their particularly newer practices to fit the workforce and fit the people that they're trying to employ. And it does seem to be going quite well for those practices. You do hear very positive stories coming from them. And I think that's something you've mentioned, isn't it? In, in some of your talks, you, I think you said it at Fever the, last week that we've got to change our practice system, like the way we work in our businesses to suit the newer workforce, as well as the new clients, as you've just alluded to. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we've had a, a model that's been in place for quite a while now, haven't we? I think vet practice, it's evolved with technology and you know what we do has changed, but maybe the way that we do it hasn't changed that much. And I think that, you know, there are so many advances in technology. Um, it may well be a situation where, you know, the first case interaction could be um, a telecommunication triage for, for lots more cases than it currently is. And that again may be something that's driven by the next generation. You know, they may they may not want to pick up the phone and have a chat. They may want to send a text message with a video and say what you think, because that is how they communicate with all their friends. So why wouldn't they want to communicate with their vet in the same way? So I think yeah. I think there are loads of advances um, that could work to our advantage. And like the, the presentation I had at Fever, you know, sort of there are those there are those differing population models, aren't there? And you're either in the camp of of the the model that's always going to continually evolve to to meet the demand, you know, the Bowser up type theory, or um, you're a pessimist and you're a Malthusian, and it's all going to come crashing down. So, you know, I think the nice thing is with every case that we see, we we always find a new way through, don't we? Nothing's yeah. perfect, and no case is exactly the same as another case. So as vets, I think we're brilliant at adapting and making a way through a situation. So. I'm super confident that if we get the comms out there and express the fact that, you know, we may be, you know, facing a pinch point rather than a crisis, I think that's much more positive framing, isn't it? Um, And the way to hit, you know, the way to get through that pinch point is to work together because that's no different to anything else in life. So if we communicate with the clients and then collaborate with other vets and the clients to make everything 
more efficient and maybe more appropriate, depending on how you look at it, then um, then I think that will feed into the sort of don't break your bet mentally campaign, which is another thing that I'm thinking of doing in the future is that we could expand that really good work and that Bieber have done on the don't break your bet physically. And we can move that into a mental space because that feels much more acceptable now and everybody's talking about it. So why can't we go there and, and just express the fact that we have got burnout and we have got people who are struggling more than they they say. So let's be open and transparent about it and, and find ways through. Yeah, that certainly sounds like the sort of place we're at, doesn't it? We're all, we're all um, you know, knowing that it's happening. We're all sort of accepted that it's happening and it's now a case of finding the solutions, isn't it? And I, I think that back at Fever last week, there was a lot of the other European countries' associations super keen to have copies of your survey, weren't they? And they really wanted to try and maybe survey their own membership. So it might be that in sort of six months' time or even longer, maybe a year's time, whatever, we've got loads of comparable data between different countries as well as anything else. And hopefully coming off the back of AEP, you'll come back with some more interesting info that we might get you back to talk about, I hope. Because <laughs> it's certainly an evolving and expanding subject, isn't it? So um, there'll be more to come, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a great topic and it's great that we're all, you know, being open and transparent about, you know, communicating about something that we can often try and hide. You know, we all, yeah. our need to be needed is like nobody else's, I think, within the profession. You know, we all, as soon as we have a quiet day, we go into panic. No client <laughs> wants us. And we, you know, and I, I always sort of tell younger associates, look, if you're having an easy day, just enjoy it because tomorrow might be crazy. Yeah. But um, I think we just need to learn to have more confidence that those, you know, those down days are a treat, not a fear. Yeah. And, um, and you know, enjoy those those easier times and, and not worry about things and yeah if we can if we can work all that in and work together then i think it's all going to be good we're doing well super well thanks very much for your time Hugh. it's been an absolute pleasure and like i say i'm sure we'll get you back at some point <laughs> and good luck with the with the work at aep i look forward to hearing about how that's gone thanks lou take care take care bye. bye this episode of beaver pod was produced by beaver for more details on the benefits of your beaver membership and the products and services offered, please go to our website at www.beaver.org.uk.